it's not a sexy topic, right? It's not going to help them 10x their business. It's not going to help them scale. I think reading a good book about grief and being very proficient in the language of difficult things can save your business. But it's a difficult message because people don't want to acknowledge that they've been in grief or that they're going to be in grief. I think most entrepreneurs in particular prefer to live in the reality of what they can accomplish and what they can push through and to kind of push these softer, more vulnerable realities to the side. today's episode of Startup to the Rest of Us, I welcome Dr. Sherry Walling back on the show, and we discuss several things, including the release of her new book comes out today. It's called Touching Two Worlds. You can get it at touchingtwoworlds.com or wherever greater books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places. We talk about the hustle of launching something like this, the behind the scenes of how Sherry has hacked her own psychology a bit to ask for favors and ask for endorsements and ask for people to help promote the book, even though that's not something that comes naturally to her. We talk about the grief of entrepreneurship, the grief of sometimes having to sell your company or fire someone or having to leave a company that, that you love and how grief, which is a topic of the book, ties into entrepreneurship. And per usual, there is the witty banter and the verbal sparring that you would come to expect from Sherry and I getting on the microphone together. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Sherry Wallen. As of a few hours ago, you are now a published author. Congrats. I've been a published author for like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, that's true. But let's talk about that. Like you self-published your first book, the first book that you and I co-wrote. And now you're through a publisher. What is, like, is there that big of a difference? It's, it's a different gauntlet to run through. I will say, so you said, now I'm a published author. One of the most difficult acts of publishing I've done is to publish in academic journals. That's really hard. <laughs> so compared to that, writing a book is actually not that difficult. Because of in academia, there's this level of scrutiny about every word, every citation, every premise. Like you have to defend everything. So self-publishing your own book, of course, like, hey, you can say whatever you want. It's just up to you to do the work to get it in front of people's eyes. And it feels like publishing with a traditional publisher is a little bit of a hybrid of that. Like there's more scrutiny. There's different phases of convincing someone that your idea is good and valid and sellable. So each of them have their own kind of world to navigate. Right. And we covered you finding a publisher in the last episode you appeared on. I'll, we'll link that up in the show notes. But it was it was quite the hustle, quite the grind for you to to do that. I think you cold emailed, I don't remember what the number was, 30, 40, 50 publishers and eventually got a connection and got an intro to somebody. And the story went from there. I want to start off by saying if folks are interested in buying your new book, it literally came out today. It's called Touching Two Worlds, A Guide for Finding Hope in the Landscape of Loss. They can head to touchingtwoworlds.com or they can go to Amazon. And it's a book about grief and it's, it's a story of your grief, losing your dad and your brother six months apart. But it also, I think, transcends that. And I think there's, we'll get in, into later in this episode about how there's grief in entrepreneurship in a lot of ways, right? In selling your company and having to fire someone, in having someone quit, in 
imploding. It's all around us in this space. And we'll touch on that in a bit. I think I want to find out, like, you finally made it to this day after writing the book for six plus months, 12 months and editing, and then you found a publisher and then it was like another 18 to 24. I mean, it's literally years in the making. What does this feel like today? You're at the starting line of promoting the book, but you're kind of at the finish line of the hero's journey in terms of getting it out into the world. I think it will feel really good to hold it in my hands. And like in entrepreneurship, there are lots of starting lines and lots of finishing lines. So the publication date is the finish line of all of the process that's gone into making the book and selling the book and pitching the book and talking about the book so that all the people would know about the book the day that it comes out. So that feels like a version of a finish line. But of course, it's also a starting line, right? It's the starting line of this book having a life outside of me, a life out in the world. And hopefully it's the starting line to more conversations and more podcast interviews and this other path of now supporting the book in its next phase. So I think the tricky thing for me, as for many entrepreneurs, is to also acknowledge the finish line on the same day that I'm acknowledging the starting line to sort of take the win to celebrate that this particular part of the process is complete while also gearing up and being ready for the next phase. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really astute way to say it. It's not uncommon that I will say building your product and launching. Now you're 20% of the way there, right? Or now you are at the starting line of this whole new phase, which you know developers and product people don't think about, which is now I have to essentially find people who want it, although really even that is backwards because as we know, start marketing the day you start coding and you've done the same thing. You started connecting with people, promoting the book and setting up podcast interviews and basically trying to get the word out. What was it? Six months ago? Oh, at least. Yeah. Six to nine months ago for a, for a launch date. You know, and again, folks who haven't launched something, whether it is a book or a product or a course or software, they often think that, that the marketing starts the day you launch. But what have you been doing? Because you've been, I mean, I, I, we've been calling it the hustle. Like you've been hustling on this more than anything since you were intern at Yale, since you had the, your, uh, your postdoc. Not the last book. Well, anyway, we can debate that another time, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. You hustled on the last book, but you had other stuff going on. This one, I've seen, you know, in addition to your circus show and in addition to you pulling in all the stops with your entire network to basically get on podcasts and, you know, get the word out. It's, it's something I haven't seen you do prior. The hustle began like last November when I needed to do the first round of hustle, which is to get early endorsers for the book. So that was me reaching out to all of the high profile people that I know, people who have an audience, people who have some authority in the world and asking them if they would review the book. And that was quite a hustle, right? It's hard to get the attention of really busy, accomplished people, people who are more accomplished than, than I am, even than you are, and to get their attention long enough to say, hey, look at this thing. Will you, will you give me a quote? Can I put your quote in the back of the book, et cetera? So that was really the beginning. And then from that hustle, that all of that reaching out, all of that 
navigating the process of getting quotes and, you know, talking with people about it came this sort of beginning of the book launch, which is what's the best way to introduce this book to the world. And I decided to do a very unusual thing, which is to host a launch event that was based around an original circus show, which used circus artists to tell a piece of the story of the book, but became a thing to invite everyone I know to. So instead of, hey, here's my book, will you talk about it? It's come to the show you'll get a copy of the book. It's me introducing you to the content of the book in this really unusual way. And so that was a risky decision because it was a huge investment of time and of resources and of attention. And I'm really glad that I did it that way. But, you know, certainly it was a, a risky decision. But following the, the show, which happened in May, now it's time to do all of the podcasts and interviews and article pitches and all of the other things that go along with the more traditional book launch. So it's been a pretty long hustle, I would say, beginning last November to now we're here in July. If folks want to see pictures of that show, it's transcendent. It was absolutely magical. It's touchingtwoworlds.com and there's a circus show link or circus event link in the header and you have pictures of, of it and a video uh, I assume will come out at some point. So when you said you reached out to prominent, important people for endorsements, what, did my email get lost? You think it went to spam? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I think I figured you would endorse it. And if you, mm -hmm. if you weren't going to endorse it, I didn't want to have the marital complications. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. I Unfortunately, I endorsed this other grief book and it would be a con, con, this other grief a conflict book is of interest. Better, so. <laughs> yeah. Cold outreach or even warm, lukewarm outreach is not my favorite thing. Not a lot of people's favorite thing. Is it, does it come natural to you? Oh, it's terrible for me. <laughs> it's terrible for me. I am the least marketing-oriented person who's a successful entrepreneur that I know. Yeah. <laughs> because my work and my way of being in the world is so relational. So to have a transactional conversation, I am terrible at it. I can do it, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not good at it. And so the cold outreach was really difficult. I think the thing that helped if anything helped, was really believing in the story and in the value of the work. And so if I could take myself out of the equation and feel like, oh, hey, will you do this thing for me? That was really uncomfortable. But I could say to people really with integrity and with good energy to say, I wrote this book and I think it's actually really helpful. I think it has something important to say. Will you take a look at it? It felt easier to ask on behalf of the book than on behalf of myself, which in parallel, I've talked with entrepreneurs about all the time. Like whenever they feel like they have to do something difficult, we reframe it as doing it in service of their business, not necessarily in service of themselves. I think that's a really good reframe. I know that when I am proud of something I've done or that I know it will actually help people. I have, because I'm not a salesperson. I'm not good at sales, right? I, do, I used to do sales demos. They're awkward. It's just not a natural mode for me. But when I know that I have the best solution, like, no, I know that Drip is better than XYZ. I know that TinySeed is a better model than XYZ. I know that MicroConf is the best community for blah. You know, it's like, I'm not selling. I'm just telling, I'll say my truth, but I'm just telling the truth as I see it. You know, that, no, this is truly something that will, will help people. It's a really good way to, to think about it. I think one of the challenges with this book in particular is that I'm selling something that people don't necessarily know that they need and they don't want to need, right? It's sort of like a hemorrhoid cream or something. It's like, hey, if you need this, you really need it. But it's not a, 
it's not a sexy topic, right? It's not going to help them 10x their business. It's not going to help them scale. I think reading a good book about grief and being very proficient in the language of difficult things can save your business, but it's it's a difficult message because people don't want to acknowledge that they've been in grief or that they're going to be in grief. Both are true, but without it being this like stated need, I think most entrepreneurs in particular prefer to live in the reality of what they can accomplish and what they can push through and to kind of push these softer, more vulnerable realities to the side. I would agree because that's kind of my natural reaction to it. It's like, well, I'm not in grief. I have not lost a loved one in the past six months, so I'm not in grief. But I think you're thinking about it in the right way of like, Ever, you've either been in grief or you will be. How have you, have you like approached that objection head on in some of the conversations or some of the, the outreach you've had of like, well, this is why all entrepreneurs need this, you know, or all humans. Cause I know you're going, you're not just focused. It's not just focused on entrepreneurial grief. It's focused on, on everyone. Right. But of course the challenge is that so many of the people that I know and are connected to are entrepreneurs. So that's, those are the strings I have to pull. So I actually had this really long email correspondence with Andrew Warner, which was really thoughtful about this. And no matter what you think of Mixergy, uh, Andrew's been a supporter of mine in a variety of ways for this book and for the last book, but he just kept trying to figure out how to make the topic fit with Mixergy. And he was like, I just can't make it fit. But I know it's important and I value your work. And I had kind of a similar conversation with Channing from Indie Hackers, just the sense of like, when people come to our site or listen to our podcast, this is not what they're listening for. This is not what they want as customers. So that's been discouraging, right? To have people who have a lot of following and have been supporters in the past say, we believe in you, we believe in this project, but it just doesn't quite fit with the conversation we're having. So I haven't found a great marketing workaround to that. I just take people at their word and say, hey, I honor and respect that you are the keeper of your audience and you have a job to do for them. And so, you know, no one needs to impose a message that people aren't looking for. So it it does make it a little bit more difficult to pitch this book than than the other work that I've done. Right. Given the reach you have in this particular space, I I do appreciate that's a very thoughtful response from Andrew to say like, I support your work. I believe in it, but I just can't make it fit. It's like, it's an honest response. And I I get the feeling Chan at, you know, Indie Hackers was the same thing, right? Absolutely. Super thoughtful. And again, it's such a gift for people to even consider bringing you into their podcast or into their audience. And so I don't take that for granted for a moment. As a podcaster myself, I feel very much like the mother bear of people who come on my podcast. So if their work doesn't really fit, then I accept that for sure. Do you know what one of the biggest competitive advantages is for a startup? It's not being in Silicon Valley, having access to capital. One of the biggest advantages is access to great talent and the ability to hire them fast. This week's sponsor is Lemon.io. Lemon.io gives you access to a pool of engineers from Europe and Latin America. It's a marketplace where they check and interview every candidate and then carefully match them with hand-picked projects. And it's incredible how quickly they can do it. Lemon.io can offer you a match with a perfect developer within 48 hours. Think about it. You can have a developer working on your project within two days. And due to their extensive pool of developers, inexperienced candidates don't qualify. 
These are all developers with a lot of experience working on startups and projects just like yours. You can find your perfect developer or development team with Lemon.io. Claim a special discount for Startups for the Rest of Us listeners. Visit Lemon.io slash startups to receive a 15% discount for the first four weeks of working with your dev. That's Lemon.io slash startups. And you've kind of been hacking your own psychology, I will say. I'm sure you hate that term, but because you've been getting up at like butt crack of dawn, which maybe is the normal time you get up anyways. But I think you've been, have you been doing like almost Pomodoro sprints where you're like setting a timer and you're like, I have to get like 20 outreach emails out in this amount of time. You know, you, you know, the terms BDR and SDR, right? Yeah. The, yeah. You kind of been that for like endorsements or like, I want to get on a podcast or I want to somehow promote this book and let the world know about it. You want to tell us more about your process? Because again, you said it's not natural, it's uncomfortable. And so there's a lot of folks listening to this who are going to have to do sales calls or are going to have to do cold outreach. You're going to have to do marketing that is not natural, not comfortable, but they're going to have to push through it. So I'd love to hear how, how you figured that out. Yeah, there's a spreadsheet. There's a big spreadsheet. Spreadsheets are a little painful for me. I'm just going to be honest. I'm a lot more of the like artist, creator, psychologist, feeling oriented person. I'm a trained statistician, mind you, but spreadsheets are not my favorite. So I have a big spreadsheet and on the spreadsheet are kind of like every podcast in the world that I think I might potentially want to be on. And then every person, not maybe in the world, but like all of the professional contacts, personal contacts that I have, they've got a line in the spreadsheet. A lot of you listening to this podcast might have a line in my spreadsheet. And in the spreadsheet, I've gone through and sort of thought about like, what's the connection with this work and what might I want to ask for? Is it an introduction to someone else? Is it for them to simply buy the book? Is it for them to endorse the book or leave a review or buy the book for their book group or for their company or whatever? And then I have a wonderful friend named Elizabeth Marshall, who's really good at helping authors execute on a launch. So she's helped me go through the spreadsheet and sort of prioritize in a world of finite time, which folks are most accessible, have the strongest connection to, and might be sort of most responsive to the message. So I'm not trying to do everyone. I'm trying to be strategic and manage my sanity and my time. And it's been really helpful to have a third party like conversation with someone who can help me think through how to do the messaging and how to manage the prioritization of who to reach out to. So it definitely is a system. And then every day I spend at least an hour simply doing outreach for those lines in the spreadsheet. And then the other challenge though, is I have the hour where I do the outreach, but then thankfully sometimes people respond. So carving out the time to then manage those responses thoughtfully and intentionally, it's definitely like a part-time job to launch a book well. Yeah. And you are doing essentially a, you know, what might be a SaaS sales process where you have the, is it, I forget if it's the SDR that does the outbound, what the SDR or BDR does outbound and the other one does inbound. And you are essentially doing that outbound and some of it's warm, some of it's less warm, I would say, less in terms of like cold outreach. And then you are essentially fielding and qualifying those folks or in essence, trying to set up appointments and that kind of stuff. And so I think if you were doing this constantly ongoing, you would hire pieces of this out, right? You could have someone email on your behalf because you would have a process. But at this point, you're kind of custom drafting a lot of these emails, right? Based on 
who they are and what they do. And when I say kind of, I think you're doing quite a lot of customization, which is probably why this whole podcast tour, this is what I call it, right? A podcast tour, because it's like a band going on tour and you want to tour through all of these various podcasts. Yeah, it, it is a very interpersonal endeavor. I mean, these are personal relationships. So certainly my mailing list will get an email, right? Certainly there are one-to-many forms of communication that are involved in this process, but a lot of it is one-to-one, especially to people who are the gatekeepers of the many, if that makes sense. They're connectors, they're podcast hosts, or they have a big newsletter, things like that. Like So nurturing those relationships. We've talked about before on this podcast that there's so much relationality in all that we do as entrepreneurs. And I think I'm just immersed in the relationship management of of doing that well. Yeah. It comes back to that again and again. And the start of the rest of us drinking game is when everyone has to do a shot when I tell the story about how I didn't like my coworkers. And so then I went to start a company or I wanted to just be on my own with no attachments, right? No employees and no coworkers and this and that. And then realized, oh, it's not actually, I don't want to work with people. It's that I don't want to work with people I can't handpick and choose to be in a relationship with, right? And these relationships are super valuable, whether it's for- Control issues much, Rob? Oh, please. Doesn't every, wait, every <laughs> entrepreneur has control issues, am I right? Some more than others. Oh, please. <laughs> I am the most easygoing, patient, chill entrepreneur to work That's with. That's what your t-shirt says. Oh, boy. <laughs> My t-shirt says I'm with stupid is what it says. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that seems like it's insulting to me. No, oops. I, <laughs> if, am I beside you I, in that story? What? <laughs> so moving on, <laughs> we really haven't talked much about what's in the actual book. Like I gave kind of a, a broad overview of it, but like how, how would you describe it to someone who's thinking like, well, I may want to buy this book and, and have it. I may want to gift it to someone that I know who is, has gone through grief or is going through grief. Like what, what's in, in those two, 300 pages? Yeah. So the, the broad framing of the story of the book is that my dad was diagnosed with esophageal cancer right at the same time that my brother took a very significant deep dive into mental illness and addiction. And so essentially there was a two-year period of watching them both implode and they both died. So my dad died of cancer, my brother died by suicide. And it was it's the story of like all of these moments of watching this process unfold. And so some of the moments are really funny. You know, there's this moment of me standing in Target trying to figure out which sheets to buy for the bed that my dad is going to die in. And just the like surreal nature of that process. And I tell it in a way that is quite lighthearted. And then there are much more serious moments like calling my mother after my brother's suicide attempt and like trying to navigate that. So the, the book is framed as a a bunch of very short stories or small essays that all have an analysis portion where I'm thinking as a psychologist around what worked about my experience, what didn't, what would I recommend to others. So more than a memoir, it's also a very tactical book, as much as you can be tactical with grief. But there are journaling practices, there are breathing exercises, there are letter writing practices, there are things to do with these big feelings. And then I'm sort of representing how I engage those practices in my own life. So it's a little bit of a show and tell kind of process. Yeah. And when I, I read uh, an early draft of it, you had sent me a Google Doc literally probably a couple years ago now. And I was struck 
by how well written it is. And I know you're a good writer, but it flows so well and it's so engaging. And I remember thinking, we've just lived through this. Do I want to read about it again? But you you told it in stories and anecdotes that some of which I was present for and knew about, and then others, you know, I didn't know about you going to Target or whatever to to try to buy those sheets. And it's so it's like dare I say it's entertaining in the way that a it's heart wrenching, but it's also entertaining. It's funny, but it's also sad. It's real, but it's you know also jovial at times. Like there is a lot to it. Like I, I guess. I don't know that I've ever read a book about grief. I don't know that I've ever bought one, you know, or or that I would have had a need to, but this was so helpful for me to hear from you, even though we're married, but to hear from you as a psychologist thinking, trying to deal with their own grief, it was a nice framing of it for me of like, A, this is how it feels and B, these are ways to, to deal with it. Not even just the tactical things, but like the humor. You put humor in there and that's it. And and we forget that. I remember when my grandmother passed away and you and I went to Las Vegas to her funeral and Finn was our oldest and our oldest son, who's now 16, he was, I was guessing, I guess, was he two or three? He was like two. Yeah. yeah. Super precocious, huge vocabulary. And I remember he was, everyone was kind of somber and he would make these jokes. He'd be like, well, indubitably, I will have that snack <laughs> or something. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so stressful because he's, he's going against the mood, but everyone there loved it. Like it was this, yeah. right? It was this light and this humor and this new life because he's a young kid, but just all, he brought a level of, of sunshine on this dark moment. And I feel like there are many many points in your book where I felt that way too of like, oh, okay, this is how I want to view grief as I'm going through it in the future. And the, the book is called Touching Two Worlds to speak to that duality because on one hand, against my will, against my choosing, we both entered this phase of life of lots of darkness, of pain and suffering and people getting really sick and just sort of falling apart in front of us. And then on the other hand, you and I, since you were in this story too, were both also experiencing flourishing careers and beautiful children and a tremendous amount of joy. And I think the message of my book, if anything, is the ability to navigate back and forth between both because both are real and both happen to us. And I think a lot of people fear going toward the grief because they feel like they're going to get stuck there. They feel like it will be too uncomfortable or they don't know how to navigate it. But I think it's only in entering that phase of sort of the shadow that you can really experience the fullness of the other side, of the lightness, of the joy, of the playfulness, of the delight. And so I think introducing that duality, like there's humor, there's growth, there's flourishing, there's joy all at the same time. And to be present to both worlds, to be, to be able to be comfortable in both is what's, I think, essential for us to become the fullness of who we are. I guess I, I do feel like the book is particularly relevant to entrepreneurs. It's not written for entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs as a group get the high highs and the low lows. Like we kind of live there anyway. So I think my experience of grief has been very much informed by my life as an entrepreneur and the fact that I spend all of my time with entrepreneurs and the 
the need for them to be able to navigate back and forth between the good and the bad that happens sometimes in really quick succession. So I think that has been helpful for me to meditate on. And the book, I will say, I will echo you. It's really well written. And I've not really had the opportunity in all of the writing that I've done to bring my full self to the story. It's a very personal book. It's very poetic. There's a lot of my heart in it. There's also a lot of my mind and wisdom and learning. And so to be able to be part of a project that feels fully me, like it's drawing on all the resources that I've accumulated over my almost 44 years on the planet, that feels so satisfying. You should be super proud of it because it is, it's one of the best books I've read in years in terms of kept me interested and not because I was part of the story. And I'm a very peripheral part. I think I mentioned a couple times, but that's not why. It's not why I know the story. It's just something that's so compelling and well-told that even though it was off the beaten path for me, there are times when I stumble upon an, an audible book, right? Or a Kindle book for that matter, but I just do a lot of audio where someone really recommends it to me. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like something that is going to resonate with me. And then I start listening and I can't stop. And that's how this book was for me, although I was reading it as a Google Doc, but you have it as a paperback, Kindle, Audible. Audiobook. Audiobook that you read. Went to the big studio. Yeah. Yeah. So folks can really consume it in any any way they want to. Well, I mean, I, I hope that folks listening to this, whether they feel like they, they want to read a book about grief or not, like I... I it's like the grief you know. book you don't know that you need. But honestly, the psychologist in me, this is not the marketer. It's nice to just have on hand for if you need it or if there's a loss and you need to give a gift that feels thoughtful. I think I also sort of wrote it for the intention of having that go-to resource to give to someone when they're in the midst of grief and you don't know what to say, you can sort of, oh, hey, here's some thoughts that might be helpful to you. Yeah, I would agree with that. So touchingtwoworlds.com, folks want to find out more. Obviously, they can buy on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, wherever greater books are sold. You are at Sherry Walling on Twitter. Folks want to keep up with you. And of course, the Zen Founder Podcast, where you have several hundred episodes of stuff talking about entrepreneurship, mental health, startups, family, and life. Thanks for joining me on the show. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Sherry for coming on the show. If you feel like she's given you some value over the years, whether through this podcast or her podcast, Zen Founder, it'd be amazing if you could head to Touching Two Worlds or Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Audible.com, wherever you go to buy books and pick up a copy of Touching Two Worlds. Thanks for listening this and every week. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 613.